Hello? Hey, look at that. Magic. How to fix everything. Turn it off, turn it back on. Uh, actually, before I preach today, I actually want to invite Matt and Amanda Rossman and Cora and Addie up as well. Um, those of you who don't know, Matt and Amanda have been at this church for over 14 years, and yet today they're driving to Michigan to start a new journey in Michigan. And so the verse that came to mind for this wonderful family this morning is in Ecclesiastes. It says that there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And so we've had lots of time for dancing and laughing. If you haven't hung out with Matt, he spends most of his life dancing. (laughs) Sometimes he actually walks. No, uh, but it's been a lot of tears and a lot of joy. And so it's with grief that we're sending you off, but also with expectation the Lord goes with you and the Lord's going to bless you. Uh, If memory serves, when you showed up, all that you had was maybe a baby in here. And then she arrived. And then we got another one. And so it's thank you for serving and loving our body. And let's just pray for the Rossmans and pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you that in your mercy and in your providence, you brought Matt and Amanda here. Uh, They came at a time when this church was really actually in a a struggle, and their presence was a light and a hope and encouragement to this body. And I think over the years, there's been a lot of shared encouragement. They were able to get encouraged and blessed and loved in times where they went through some hard places. And also along the way, Lord, they have been uh, friends in Christ, brothers and sisters, partners in the gospel. We thank you that we got to watch uh, Addie and Cora uh, grow up here. We celebrate Addie's baptism just a few months ago as she professed to know the Savior who has redeemed and forgiven and washed new. And so, Lord, we give you this couple. Uh, We're so thankful for the years that they've been here, that they've served and loved. Uh, We pray, God, in this transition, Lord, they're still praying that you would provide a, a home, the right home in Michigan. We're praying... Also, that you would give them a church body where they can be loved and also where they can uh, just use the gifts that you've given uh, to be a blessing in that new church family. We pray, God, that uh, there would be um, opportunities yet today for for grieving and tears and also in your mercy that we can maintain uh, just an appropriate relationship over the miles. Uh, Go before us and lead us. We ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Cora, do you want to preach today or do you want me to go ahead? I'll go. I'll go. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Let me just kind of remind you of a few things as we turn our attention to Psalm 100. If you're not in Psalm 100, I encourage you to find it with me in the Bible. The the book of Psalms, generally, if you take your Bible and you kind of open it halfway, you either land in Psalms or Isaiah, so you're close. You're close. Um, But just, again, kind of setting the table a little bit on what we're doing as a church this year, we've we've kind of put out this banner of we want to invite people to great things. And and the reason why is the elders are talking and praying in the world. There's a lot of good things and a lot of okay things, but a lot of people are missing out on great things. Uh, And so some of the just simple things that are still great that we want to encourage you to be inviting people to, one is a great thing is just to invite people to your table. To sit at a meal, look each other in the eyes, receive one another, uh, encourage one another. That your table and sitting around tables is one of the, one of God's great gifts. 
We want to see you inviting people into Christian community, into, into a small group, into a Bible study, and say, this is going to be a place where you're going to be loved and honored, and we're going to love and honor God. We want to see you inviting people to serve beside you and serve with you. And today we're going to talk about the, the joy it is to invite someone to church. But what we've actually done in the sermon series is we've tried to flip it. And, what I, and the idea that God invites you to his table. God invites you to community. Last week we talked about God inviting you to service. But today we want to talk about how God invites us to church. Better yet, God actually summons us to church. I don't know if you knew this, but if you ignore a jury summons in the state of Iowa, you can actually get a fine or even imprisonment. And so we wouldn't ignore a summons from the state of Iowa, but God has summoned us to church. So let's talk about that. Uh, One of the actual uh, news organizations that I subscribe to, I actually received an article this week in preparation for this sermon. And the title of the article was this, Can You Find God in a Bikini? Can You Find God in a Bikini? Uh, This article came out on September 20th. The writer is Olivia Rheingold, if you'd like to read about it yourself. Uh, But in this article, it describes uh, a community of people in West Los Angeles who gather regularly for what they call Secular Sabbath. And when you come to Secular Sabbath, uh, many of the people who attend, they come in their bathing suits. Uh, They sit in steam baths for part of the day. They float in pools. And they engage in a series of breathing exercises. Uh, The founder of Secular Sabbath is a a 32-year-old woman named Genevieve Meadow Jenkins. And the article states this. The purpose of her Secular Sabbath sessions is to connect her couple hundred members to a higher power. Uh, Meadow Jenkins herself uh, says this about her little organization. She says, I hope that they can connect with a sense of purpose through God or something greater than just themselves in this world. And the article actually ends with a quote from one of the worshipers that attends Secular Sabbath, and this was his words. He said this, Anything that makes you feel like you're celebrating life is a church. Did you hear that line? He says, anything that makes you feel like you're celebrating life is a church. Now, as I read that article and have pondered on it the last week or so, I find it both very fascinating and very frustrating. Fascinating because it it reveals that there is this human hunger to know Something that's bigger than themselves. I find it fascinating that uh, these people also realize there's something more powerful when it's a shared experience. And so that's fascinating. They know to gather. They know that there's something, someone more complex, more powerful than them. That they would even pause in the middle of the week to put on their bathing suits and go breathe. So I find that fascinating. I do. I really do. And at the same time, there's, there's kind of this frustration. It's that people will think that you can connect with God on your own terms. Um, the idea is like, I think we know as parents 
that we do not let our kids set the terms of their daily happiness. We know that as parents, that what our kids would decide would make them feel like they're celebrating life would not be things as parents that we think were, were, were healthy for them, good for them, short-term or long-term. And so if we believe, even at a, just a little level, that there is a, a God that's bigger than us, smarter than us, more powerful than us, more wise than us, it's unlikely that we're going to get the best ideas to worship him from us. And so today when we look at Psalm 100, this is what, uh, as Christians, we call this Holy Scripture. Uh, that is, this is the script This is the Holy Script. The director of the universe says, walk this way if you want to be actors in my theater. This is how God says, come if you want to worship. Don't create your own secular Sabbath. Don't create your own worship experience. Submit to what I have said. It means to worship me, to know me, to come to me. And so I think Psalm 100 is going to actually help us with the what of worship. It's going to help us with the where of worship. And and we're going to look at the the why of worship. Or you could say the what of church, the where of church, and the why of church. Uh, But before I get ahead of myself, uh, and we talk about this idea of church, uh, we have to have a robust definition of church. So then we can zoom in on a particular aspect of church, which is the gathering of the church. Uh, Just in the last year or two, a really thoughtful book has come out. It's called The Essential Church. And the authors actually wrote this book after the COVID pandemic. And they were talking about just how essential the body of Christ is, right? This is, the church is more essential than first responders, right? It is the most essential organization gathering right in in the world Uh, but what i appreciate the authors of essential church do is they give us a a very broad definition of church and i want to just you to hear the full definition because then we're going to zoom in on a small portion of it so here's a definition of church from the book essential church they write this a church is a group of christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as his citizens through baptism and the Lord's Supper, and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world following the teaching and example of elders. This is a mouthful. I think it's a fantastic definition And actually, if you read the book or buy the book, and I encourage it, each chapter takes one of those little phrases and and, and shows a biblical rationale for every little phrase. And I think that they do a great job saying if if your church is missing any one of these aspects, it might not be a biblical church. But what I want you to realize, and I think they do very well explaining this, is uh, church is not less than the assembled gathering. Do you understand what I'm saying there? That is, church is more than the corporate worship of his people. But it's not less than that. And so it's actually appropriate, it is okay to invite someone to church. 
to actually say to people, would you like to come to my church on Sunday morning? We meet at 925. I actually think that that is a biblically, you could justify that biblically to use that term. Church is at 925. The body of Christ gathers here at Cornerstone Church at 925. If you pick up your New Testament and you read 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, you can, where Paul talks a lot about the, the, the taking of time around the Lord's Supper in the first century, when he describes that gathering around the Lord's Supper, he calls it church. And so I want, we're, we're zooming in on one aspect of what it means to be the church, but a very important one, the assembly of God's people to worship. And Psalm 100 is going to give us some instructions on the assembled body of Christ, the church, when it gathers to worship, what do we do? Where should it happen? And why? This summer, it was actually kind of nice, uh, Kim Pospisil invited a number of people to come and celebrate Randy Pospisil's 50th birthday. And if you, those of you who came, it was enjoyable. But why did we do it? Why did we assemble? We assembled because we wanted to give honor to Randy. That when Kim said, hey... There's a thing for him. We're like, I want to be at the thing for him. When we start talking about church, we want to be at the thing for him. The thing for God. Because he's worthy. Randy, you're a good guy. Not God. We gather. In fact, if we understood the, the weightiness, the holiness, the greatness of God, we would, in a sense, live before his presence 24-7. And by the way, that's what heaven is, right? When all the blinders are off and the people of God, in some ways, never leave the assembly, <laughs> worshiping God. But for now, we gather like this. So let's talk about the what of church. So uh, this, let me read Psalm 100, verses 1 through 3 again. This is the what of church. Like, what happens? What's supposed to happen? Verse 1 says, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. Shout for joy, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. So what is church? In short, it is a holy, whole-bodied engagement with God. It is a holy, whole-bodied engagement with God. Now, a couple of things just to note. One, every one of these verbs in the original Hebrew are, are they're in the plural. Right? These are things that you do with people, not by yourself. So some of you, when you're, you know, you're vacuuming with your earbuds in and you're listening to Christian music and you're worshiping God, that's great. That's not Psalm 100. So there is a time for personal worship, for personal prayer. That's great. Psalm 100 is saying, y'all gather and y'all shout to the Lord. And the invitation, notice, is to all the earth. So the summons goes out to every nation, every person. And it says, there is one God, and it actually uses his covenant name, Lord Yahweh, the Jehovah, the true God. And there's an invitation, come to him, come before his presence, with your whole body. And so the idea of shouting and gladness, it says, for us to worship, there, for church to really be church, there need, our emotions need to be engaged. 
There has to be gladness. Not only gladness. You can find other emotions and other passages about when you worship that there's, there's gladness. And sometimes there's holy grief about wickedness in the world. Uh, there's praise. But our emotions should be engaged. It uses two verbs. It says come and worship. So come is that physical drawing near that requires your body. And then the word in Hebrew for worship actually literally means to bow and to kneel. And so for worship to be worship, for corporate worship to be biblical worship, it involves our bodies. And so I noticed that during one of the songs we started clapping. That's biblical. There's actually a command that says clap. There's times where we stand. There's times when we kneel. The the body that God has given us, and you actually get a body for eternity, it matters when we worship. But then in verse 3, it also talks about we engage our minds. It says, no that the Lord is God, right? Think, reflect, meditate, ponder. One of the things that's so true about Judaism and then it came true in the new covenant under Christianity is we care about the mind and rationality and truth and meditation. If you talk about when the Puritans talked about worship, they used two features. They talked about there needs to be light and there needs to be heat, Light of revelation, that there needs to be truth, that the the emotion, the heat needs to be driven by truth. So too much heat without light, it's frenzy, it's, it's disordered, it's distracting. But if you have light without heat, then you must not be paying attention to the light. Our God is great, kneel before him. Our God is amazing, shout to him. So a robust worship gathering has light and heat. Or in Psalm 100, a full-bodied expression of emotions and physicality and our minds before God. A holy, whole-bodied engagement. Now, we, we know this, that even in our own little, in our lives, that there are certain events that require a certain type of bodily engagement. So I was thinking about a five-year-old's birthday party. There are certain things that you need to do to honor a five-year-old's birthday party. The first thing you have to do is you have to go to Walmart and buy a toy. And the second thing is, is when you walk in the door and they hand you that little hat with the elastic string, you put it on. And then at a certain point in that little birthday gathering, we all sing the same song. Do you know that song? Okay, just checking. And then when they hand you a cupcake that has green frosting on it, you eat it. Now, some of you are a stick in the muds and you don't put the hat on. And you're too proud to sing the song. But if you honor that kid, you bring your whole body to the experience. Maturity is acting the right age in the right circumstance. And in that circumstance, you sing the song and you wear the hat. There's something about church that this is a holy, sacred moment. And we have been instructed, come in, right? Bring your emotions. Bring your physicality to this space. And use your mind. God is honored. It's a holy, whole body engagement. That's what church is. And so there's that personal aspect to this, right? 
I hope that when you're here and the sermon is being preached, you're listening, you're thinking. Taking notes is fine. You don't have to take notes. But is your mind engaged? Is, is, are the songs that we're singing coming from Scripture? I love that song about heaven this morning. That was good for my soul. Right? We want the, the, the things that we sing to be true. We want the melodies to resonate with the true. And then we want the people of God with one voice to sing loud. Right? Same thing in the sermon. Are, you, are your minds engaged? Right? But there's also a corporate aspect. I do encourage you, pray for those who plan these worship gatherings, that they would be, that they would be ordered rightly, that this, these services would be saturated with Scripture, saturated with prayer, that when we come to the Lord's table, the person who takes us to the Lord's table, uh, we use the term fence the table, that we, we recognize who takes this meal and who should pass on this meal, that when, when we, we gather, there's greeting of one another. Like, there's a personal aspect of a whole-bodied, holy experience. And then well, there's a corporate aspect. Pray that those who are part of the leadership do it wisely, intentionally, and with passion. That's what church is. Now, where is church supposed to happen? Well, this one's tricky. Look what it says in verse 4. Verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now, the short answer is, what is the where of church, or where is church? Where, church is a sacred space, and it's a holy time. Church is a sacred space and a holy time. Now, for the original reader of Psalm 100, the Old Covenant uh, believer, this was very literal. They would go to the city of Jerusalem. They would actually enter in through particular gates that would bring them into the what was called the Temple Mount, right? The temple wasn't just a building. It was kind of a whole geographic area. And, and interestingly enough, the temple itself, only the priests could go into the temple. The rest of the people would... And the reason why that was significant is inside the temple, there was an even smaller room called the Holy of Holies where God said, I will uniquely be present. And those who come to worship me there will uniquely experience me. He actually said there's a unique presence at the temple. And so when people would come to Jerusalem, they'd go into the city, and then eventually they'd, they'd enter the temple area through gates. And then there was a, 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 an area called the Court of the Gentiles where any kind of worshiper or seeker of God could go. And then they could go a little bit closer to the presence of God if they were Jewish people. They could go a little bit closer if they were Jewish men to bring sacrifices on behalf of their family. And then in, a little deeper in, the priests could perform their work at the altar. It was a very sacred space. It was a holy space. Uh, three times each year, all of the people who worship God were supposed to come and bring sacrifices at this place. And the people came. They came through the gates. They walked into the courts and to worship God. And so you good Bible readers out here know that through, because of Christ's death and his resurrection, the way to approach God isn't that way anymore. You probably remember that Jesus had this little dialogue with a Samaritan woman, and she asked a, a thoughtful theological question. She said, we Samaritans, we like to worship on this mountain over here, but you Jews, you say you have to go to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, hey, there will be a day when people will worship the true God through worship, or worship the true God with spirit and truth. 
Right? The, the idea, there, there was no longer like these unique places on the globe that you could only worship God. The, the, the idea of worshiping and knowing God was going to be not confined to a single city or a single tent or a single temple. But I think we have to be careful when we read our New Testaments to realize that though God can be worshipped at all places around the globe, there's something unique that when the church gathers, he is uniquely present. In fact, in 1 Peter, excuse me, again in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4, you can look at it. It says that when God's people gather and the Lord Jesus Christ is present. And so even though the, the, the idea of a holy place like Jerusalem or the temple, it, 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 we don't worship that way anymore. There is this idea in the New Testament that God is uniquely present in the gathering of his people. This is a sacred place, and it is a holy time because we're here. So we have freedom on where. We even have some freedom in the New Testament on how. But we don't have freedom on if. See what I'm saying? So that means that if you take your fishing pole out this morning and go to your favorite pond, and it ain't church. Uh, I also believe, according to the New Testament, there's no such thing as online church. The, 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 the web and the internet is a wonderful thing. It distributes helpful things about God, but it can never create church because there's no people gathering. In God's mercy, when God wanted to teach us who he was, he did not send down a Skype phone call. Or a WhatsApp message. God came down in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so when we start talking about where is church, church is a real place where real people gather to bring glory to his name. That's where church is. I talked to a gentleman this week. He's uh, one of the leaders of the Cedar Rapids House Church Network. I don't know if you knew that. There's a network of house churches in our city. And even in their groups, they make church, church. It's in the living room. You know, last night they watched a movie, but now on Sunday morning, they, they push the couch back, they add some chairs, they begin, the, the saints come in, they take their seats around, they, 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 they lift up the, the God in prayer, they, they read a scripture, and now it's church. It's a sacred space. It's a holy place because God's people are there to bring glory and honor to God. And so we want to be uh, careful and thoughtful that we honor the sacred gathering, that we honor the holy place and the holy time that God has said. That's where the church is. We have to gather. We have to invite God's presence. And then we, we pray that he is uniquely here, because I think he is when God's saints gather. Just thinking about this practically, Right? One is just to, you guys are here, so you're already doing this, but maybe you have to persuade some of your Christian or non-Christian friends to, to, to honor the time when churches meet. Uh, some of the best advice I ever got was go to bed early on Saturday night. It's really hard to be engaged on Sunday morning if you stay up and watch Saturday Night Live. I know this from personal experience. <laughs> right? Um, 
I think, too, and this is something that I've had to learn over the years, I have, you know, how do you honor the time? Maybe some of you have to turn off the phone during the church service. Um, I know I can't read uh, my phone, and reading the Bible has never worked for me. Those of you who do it, you are way more holy than I am. Praise God for you. But we want to honor the sacred space. We want to honor the holy time. So the what of church is this holy, whole-bodied engagement where church it's that sacred space it's that holy time when the saints of god gather but we have to get to the key thing though why why do you have church why do you gather what's the significance of it in short we gather because of the glory and the greatness of god i want to reread verses three and verse five why do we gather Verse 3 says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Verse 5, For, that's the reason, for the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. In this very short psalm, the psalmist gives us eight reasons on why you gather. I'm going to boil it down to one idea. It's this. We gather because of, we have a creator and redeemer God with matchless character. We have a creator. We have a redeeming God. And he has matchless character. Let's look at some of the things he says. Um, know that the Lord is God. So that's speaking about the uniqueness that there is only one God, the Lord God, Yahweh. But he's the one who's made us. This is this idea of God as creator. He created the universe, which is amazing, but he also created each individual person. Go back and read Psalm 139. Each individual person is knit together in their mother's womb. The Lord knows our days. He knows us intimately. He created you. It goes on to say, we are his. And this is where language shifts. right? That he's speaking, in the first uh, original context, he's speaking to the Jews. The Jews are uniquely gods. Why? Because he brought them out of Egypt. They were slaves of Pharaoh. And through ten plagues, and the tenth one in particular, by the blood of the Lamb, God purchased Israel, and he brought them out to be his people. That's why the next line, we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Uh, You know, you hear a lot of sermons about sheep being dumb, and I've probably given my fair share. But I want you to know that to a shepherd, sheep are precious, not just dumb. (laughs) And so one of the reasons why we gather is because God has made us his precious Sheep, And the way that he did it, New Testament Christians, is by the blood of his son, the perfect lamb of God without spot. And so we worship him. He's our creator, but he's also our our redeemer. He bought us. He saved us through the death of his son. So we come and worship. And then verse 5, it's just all about his character. For the Lord is good. There's a lot of mixed things in the world. The Lord is good, perfect, pure, 
I had a brief conversation this morning about how coffee tastes better with, you know, reversed osmosis water. That's an opinion, but I think it does. Right? But even there, it's not pure. It's not, it's t- it's not but God is pure. He is good. Everything he does is good. Every motivation he does is good. Every intention is good. And it says his love endures forever. God's love for his people will never end. In fact, it began before the foundation of the earth, it says. And so it's certainly going to continue to the ends of the earth. His love endures forever. And it says his faithfulness continues through all generations. He's going to be faithful to you and your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids. His faithfulness is going to endure. And so why do we come to worship? Because he is the creator and redeemer God with matchless character. I I read quite a bit this week on just a little bit of church history, a little bit of biblical rationale on what had to happen for the pre-Christian Jews to switch their worship from Saturday to Sunday. I mean, this is big time. I don't know, those of you who read your Bibles and know that the, the establishment of worship on the Sabbath comes about during the, the, the law of Moses. And, and for every Saturday, the Sabbath day, for decades and centuries, the Jews gathered to worship on Saturday the Sabbath. Something significant has to happen if these early Christians who are Jews shift their worship from Saturday to Sunday. And many of you know what it was. Their Messiah died on a Friday, and he rose again on a Sunday, what they, what they called the Lord's Day. And you can pick up your Bible, and you can see in 1 Corinthians 16, they're gathering on the Lord's Day. You can read in the book of Acts, they gather on Sunday, the Lord's Day. You can pick up Revelation, and John is worshiping on the Lord's Day. It's like time shifted. A new epoch arrived when Jesus rose from the dead, so that now the church gathers on Sunday to say, He is risen, and the people say, He is risen indeed. Something world-changing shifted when, the, when Jesus the Messiah dies and he rises on the third day. We gather every Sunday, every Lord's Day to say he is risen. He is risen indeed. We don't just say that on, on Easter. We actually proclaim that every Sunday when we gather until he comes. That's the why of church. Let me just close with a familiar passage that you know of, and then one last story. If you turn in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews, a New Testament Christian, is, is pondering about the significance of gathering before God. How significant? What is God doing? I'm going to start back in verse 22. Uh, similar to uh, Psalm 100, these commands are all in the plural. This is what the people of God are to do. This is what Christians do. Not in isolation, in community. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. If you have been forgiven by God, cleansed by God, 
you come and you adore him. If you, if you don't know what it means to be washed of God, forgiven of God, then you go to him in faith. Wash me, Savior, or I die. But having done this, we gather, remembering what he has done. In verse 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Who knows what God will do in a single Lord's gathering? Let me warn you, you will miss something if you miss one gathering of God's people. For instance, I was reading recently about a pastor named Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, he, he, these are his words about a time when he was serving in Wales in the 20th century. He says this, I remember a woman who was a spiritist and even a medium, a paid medium, employed by a spiritist society. She used to go every Sunday evening to a spiritist meeting and was paid three guineas for acting as a medium. This was during the 30s, and that was quite a large sum of money for a lower middle-class woman. She was ill one Sunday and could not keep to her appointment. She was sitting in her house, and she saw people passing by on their way to the church where I happened to be ministering in South Wales. Something made her feel a desire to know what those people had, and so she decided to go to the service. Well, I want you to witness there. When you gather to worship God, people watch. Wherever there's a gathering, people turn their head. Right? That's why we call it rubbernecking. When there's a bunch of ambulance and lights, right? we all look. There's a big gathering. I've got to see what's happening. This happened to a spiritist. What's everybody so excited about? It says, she came ever afterward until she died and became a very fine Christian. One day I asked her what she felt on that first visit. And this is what she said to me. She said, the moment I entered your chapel and sat down on a seat among the people, I was conscious of a power. I was conscious of the same sort of power as I was accustomed to in our spiritist meetings, but there was one big difference. I had a feeling that the power in your chapel was a clean power. She encountered the holiness of God in the gathering of God's people. And that's what we pray. That we gather in Christ's name and that the holiness of God would fall on his people and on anyone else who would come. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you summons us to church. You call us to worship. You are worthy. And yet there's also something... What a powerful gift and grace it is when we gather. Thank you for the saints here, Lord. For many of these people, I know I'm singing to the choir. Um, but at the same time, I know that uh, they have opportunities maybe to persuade or invite people to come back to church or to reprioritize the gathering. And Lord, we pray that when we meet, your holy power would be here, a clean power. And there we would confess our sins. There we will worship again. There we will take again the Lord's Supper. And we pray that in all these things, you would get the glory and the honor. We pray that you'd get much glory and we would get much grace to the praise of Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.